0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So the Bible begins, as you may know, in the book of Genesis with the Garden of Eden, and that God lived and he dwelled with Adam and Eve. The Bible ends in the book of Revelation with a vision of God returning, the new Jerusalem coming down to the earth, and and God once again dwelling among his people. In the middle of the story, then, is ancient Jerusalem. God's anointed one, the great King David, had stormed the city and taken it from the Jebusites. He set it up as his capital. It was a strategically brilliant place for a capital. Zion sits up on a hill. It is surrounded by a great wall. The city of David. Once he's established... He then very quickly brings in the Ark of the Covenant in a great procession with raucous rejoicing, and and David even does this wild dance, because you see, the Ark of the Covenant is the centerpiece of Israelite worship. It is the place of the most concentrated, located presence of God in all of the earth. Fast forward to the end of David's life, and he chooses his son Solomon to be his heir. He has Solomon set upon his own donkey for a coronation parade that goes throughout the whole city. Solomon, of course, is the one who then builds the great temple that would house that Ark of the Covenant. The Old Testament describes the temple in Jerusalem as the footstool of God, that the very toes of god touched the earth from heaven ancient jerusalem not modern jerusalem ancient jerusalem was the center of the universe the city of david is also the city of god it's the new eden it is the place where god dwells among his people but if you know the old testament you know that those people rebelled against God constantly, and they rejected him. And God would send his prophets trying to call them back to himself. One of them is the great prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel has this vision of God's judgment. He sees the glory of God lift up from the temple, from the city of Jerusalem, and go off to the east, over the mountain that is just to the east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives. And at the end of his book, then, Ezekiel sees God return, that glory the same way, coming back over the Mount of Olives, back to Jerusalem, back to his temple. And so today on Palm Sunday, we have Jesus, who is the new and the greater King David. He is greater than David's greatest son, Solomon, And if you were listening closely, when we were out in the gathering space, you heard that the disciples took and they put Jesus on that donkey. They enthroned him for a coronation parade through the city. And as Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, there's a procession with great rejoicing and celebration because Jesus is greater than the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the vision of Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord, coming down from the Mount of Olives into the holy city, Jerusalem. This is his homecoming. This is his homecoming. All of Lent, we've been talking about our homecoming, that we need to return home to God, that we need to repent of our sins, but this is his homecoming. God has now come to the very city of God. See, Jerusalem is no longer the footstool of God. No, no, no. God himself in the flesh has arrived, boots on the ground. But what happens? As Jesus is approaching, it says this in Luke. As he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. You did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is heartbroken. He's he's weeping. He's sobbing. He's having an all out ugly cry because he is God. Come to his own city and he knows what's ahead. Oh, it's rejoicing on Sunday. But rejection comes on Friday. Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is going to very quickly become crucify him, crucify him. And it begs a very simple question of every one of us here today, my friends. What's it going to be for us? How do we receive Jesus? With rejoicing or with rejection? Well, rejoicing, right? Isn't that why we're here? I mean, very few of us, I hope not, would just outright reject Jesus, right? I recently heard a story of a Christian man in China. And of course, communist China, Christianity is illegal. And so this man would host uh, the Eucharist in his own home because they had to do it in secret. They would do it late at night when nobody was around to avoid the authorities. So one night they're gathered in his home and the person that's watching the door cries out, they're coming! And so everybody scatters except him because it's his house. And the authorities come, and they arrest him, and they drag him away. And then they strip him naked, and they burn his body, and they cut his body. And they take a cattle prod, and they amp it up to a million volts, and just, they touch his body and hit his body. And they do this over and over again, 24-7, for like three to four weeks. And they tell him, you just got to answer one question. Tell us, where is the priest? there's no priest, no Eucharist. Just tell us where the priest is and you can go home to your family. But they couldn't break him. He wouldn't do it. He loved the Eucharist so much. He loves that Jesus gives himself to us in this sacrament. And he knew that church needed Jesus. They needed the Eucharist and they couldn't break him. So eventually, they broke. They gave up. Like this guy, he's not going to tell us. So they just sent him home. It wasn't that much longer that he then was able to get out of China and come to this country. And he was able to come to worship, to church, in freedom. He couldn't believe it. He could just come to any church, and he could walk in the doors with his family, and nobody would harass him, and nobody would arrest him. In fact, in this country, he could go to mass every single day. How wonderful. This is amazing. But he also learned that in this country, also unlike communist China, you're free to make money. And in fact, if you work hard, you can make even more money. And he wanted to give good things to his family. I mean, who of us doesn't want to do that, right? We want to make money, we want to give good things to our family. And so he thought, well, if I, if I get up early in the morning, I go to work early, I can make more money. And he started skipping daily mass. And then he thought, oh, if I put in overtime over the weekend... I can make more money. And he occasionally started missing the weekend Eucharist. And pretty soon it was just Christmas and Easter. And as I heard the end of the story, this man no longer comes to the Eucharist at all. Communist China and being tortured with a cattle prod couldn't get him to reject Jesus. But our culture did. And I find myself in that man. I don't know about you. Oh, I want to rejoice. I want to worship Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I love you. And then I go home from church and say, can I have the world too? Can't I have what everybody else has? Can't I just go along with the culture and what everybody's doing? It won't hurt anything. It won't hurt anybody else. I'll just keep to myself. It won't hurt me, will it? My brothers and sisters, it is this world of ours, it is this culture that constantly saturates us, that ultimately in the end it always rejects Jesus. It is this culture that surrounds us that always ends up shouting, crucify him, crucify him. It is this world that killed the greatest human being who ever walked on this planet, who also happens to be our God who came to visit us and dwell among us. And we gotta make up our minds. Every one of us, you have to make up your mind. Do I wanna be at home with God? Or do I wanna be at home with this world? See, it's probably not an outright rejection. It's a slow seduction, isn't it? From Sunday to Good Friday, to any Friday. Sometimes Monday, maybe even Sunday afternoon, maybe before we even leave church. Every sin, every sin. Oh, come on, what about the little ones? You know, the little imperfection. No, no, no. Every sin, my friends, is a rejection of Jesus. Every sin shouts out, crucify him. And this is what I will never understand fully. Eternity is not enough time to thank him. Jesus rides on. He knows the rejection in front of him. He is weeping. Jesus rides on. Not just on Palm Sunday, every Sunday. Right now, Jesus rides on. The earliest Christians took the praises of Palm Sunday, and they incorporated them into the liturgy. You know them. We sing them every week. We'll sing them in just a moment. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Why? (laughs) Because this is his homecoming. Right now. This is his homecoming. Not ancient Jerusalem. Right here. Here is the new city. Here is the new Jerusalem. This is his homecoming, friends, right here among us. Not on a humble donkey. But in simple, humble bread and wine, Jesus comes and he enters into you and he enters into me. And even though I let myself, and I bet you did too, I let myself be slowly seduced from just last Sunday to Friday, and again and again, just this last week, I I sinned and I rejected him. Even so, this Jesus rides on and he still wants to come and enter into me. He still wants to come and visit us. He still wants a homecoming in your heart and in mine. I don't know what that does in your heart, but it makes me, look at the picture. I, that, see that dude in the bottom right-hand corner? It's a little bit dark, but I don't know I don't know if you can see him or not, but he is just on his face, face to the ground, worshiping Jesus. And it makes me just want to cry out and beg him and pray, Jesus, ride on. Ride on, Jesus. Ride on. Come and enter me today and help me, Jesus. I want to stop rejecting you, Jesus. Ride on, Jesus. Just ride on. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Ride on, Jesus.